What matters to you? Perhaps you'd give several different answers. God, family, perhaps your job, perhaps your house. They say, don't you, you can tell uh, what really matters to you by what you'd rescue if your house was uh, burning down. You know, is it photos of your family? Is it your wallet? Is it your briefcase? Is it your iPad? It's a clue to what really matters to you in life. But have you ever wondered what matters to God? Now, he doesn't have a house or, or a career in, in that sense. And he'd actually be able to take everything from a burning house, wouldn't he? And actually be able to stop it burning. Uh, so that doesn't quite work. But it's still an important question, is it? What matters to God? And it matters because what matters to God matters, doesn't it? Really matters. And as we look at this passage in Colossians, which we're going to focus on this morning, looking at the big picture, we're going to see what matters to God. What is it that really he cares about? And the first thing we see is that Christ matters. Christ matters. Did you see that there in verses 15 to 20? I'll just read the first verse. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And he goes on to talk about the wonders of Christ. He is preeminent before all things, above all things. Creator of all that's been created. Redeemer of all that's been redeemed. The head of the church. The firstborn of the old age. The firstborn of the age to come. The fullness of God dwells in him. Fully God and fully man. Who shed his precious blood to make peace between God and man. He's our mediator, our go-between. So before we talk about anything else this morning, let's talk about Christ. He really is the big picture. He is what we were made for. Do you see that there in verse 15? All things were created through him and for him. So it's not just that things were made through him. It's not just that he made the world. Everything was made for him. He's not just the creator, he's the reason for creation. The world was made for Christ, that he might be its redeemer. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for us, but also God so loved his one and only son that he made the world for him. God made the world for the glory of his, of Christ, of his son, for his own glory. So the answer to the life, universe and everything is not 42, as Douglas Adams might have told you. It's Christ. He is the reason. He is the answer. He is everything. Without him, there's no reason, no answer and nothing. So as we talk about the big picture here this morning, we're not going to be talking about trivialities or techniques. We're talking about the biggest things that you can talk about, the glory of God in the face of Christ. So if Christ really matters, there are some massive implications for us this morning. If Christ is as glorious and wonderful and preeminent as this passage says, which he is, then, firstly, or secondly for you guys, mission matters. If Christ is so important, if he's above and before all things, then everybody needs to hear about him. He ought to be worshipped by all. And that's also one of the massive themes of our passage, isn't it? If you look at uh, verses 12 to 14. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. 
He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you see there that mission is what God the Father is doing? He's transferring people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his Son. And not in an abstract sense, this isn't just something that you can sort of talk about on paper. We're talking about real people. This includes Paul. He says has transferred us. This includes the Colossians that he's talking about. God the Father is bringing glory to God the Son as he transfers more and more people into his kingdom. As the Son's kingdom goes from strength to strength, as it grows. So God the Father is about mission. He's bringing people into the kingdom. But mission is also what God the Son is doing. Have a look at verse 20. And through him, that's Christ, to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, (coughs) making peace by the blood of his cross. Mission is what God the Son is doing as well. (coughs) He shed his blood on the cross to make this possible. He bought people with his blood. He bought the peace with his own death on the cross that we might be reconciled. So God the Father is about mission, but God the Son is also about mission. That was what he was coming to the cross to do, to bring people, to buy people with his blood. And mission is also what God the Spirit is doing through his servants. Have a look at verses 5 to 7. I'll read from the second half of the verse. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learnt it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. Do you see here that people are taking the message out? Epaphroditus has done this. He's taken it to the uh, Colossians. Paul has done this. And the Spirit has opened ears to receive the message. They've heard it. They've understood it. They've believed it. That's the, the flow of logic in the passage. And it's the story of a conversion, isn't it? Hearing the gospel. Believing the gospel. It's the story of every conversion, really, isn't it? So Paul and Epaphroditus have been taking the good news of Jesus all over the world. God's servants have been speaking and other people have been hearing and believing. So the Spirit has been working in people, softening their hearts, opening their ears. So the Spirit too, God the Spirit, is about mission. As he opens the mouths of his servants and the ears of unbelievers. So we see here in this passage that mission is a natural outpouring of the lordship of Christ. If he is Lord, then all need to hear, all need to bow. And that's why as a church, mission is one of our priorities, one of our three as a church. Not because it's cool and trendy to talk about mission, but because Jesus is Lord. And this year we need to recommit ourselves to mission, taking the word of Christ everywhere, to our friends, to our neighbours, fellow Otleensians and Olicanians. We need people to hear about Jesus and be saved. If not, then they're going to spend an eternity in hell. So the stakes are very, very high. 
We need to be about mission. But Jesus is not just in the business of getting us over the line. Actually, maturity matters. God just doesn't want us transferred. He wants us transformed. Have a look at verses 21 to 23. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Do you see here, the ultimate aim is to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before God. Now that has to do with the end, when we we stand before God. We'll not ultimately be holy and blameless and above reproach until that day. And yet, that's the direction of travel for our lives, isn't it? There is in this passage a, I used to be like this, but not now. Do you see that? You were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. In other words, there has been growth in the believers. There's been movement. Greater holiness, greater blamelessness, greater above reproachness, if you like. There is travel, there's movement. And there's a necessity to keep going and keep growing, isn't it? There, you can, uh, as if indeed you continue in the faith. So the movement here is not away from the gospel onto other things. It's further into the gospel, deeper into the gospel. And Paul speaks of a similar way in verse 28, doesn't he? Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. You see, for Paul, the goal was not conversions. The goal was mature Christians. So Paul is not a gospel midwife, if you like, you know, baby's out, job done. He's in it for the long haul. So we see here that God is committed to maturity. The way that Paul prays in this passage is to do with the believers' maturity. God wants to see us transformed more into the likeness of his son. Again, God loves his son so much that he wants his people to reflect his character, to be like his son. How strange would it be for Christ's kingdom to be filled with loveless people who in no way resemble his son? How strange would it be to be in Christ's family without bearing any of the family likeness? So God wants to make us more like Jesus. So maturity matters. And that's why that's one of our priorities as a church. Maturity. And we need to recommit ourselves to that this year as well. And because maturity matters... Ministry matters. Paul knows this. Have a look at verse 23, the second half. The hope of the gospel that has been heard, which which has been proclaimed in all creation, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And then 25 and 26. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. See, Paul here is a minister, isn't he? But a minister of what? Of God, yes. 
But he describes himself as a minister of the gospel, belonging to the gospel, a servant of the gospel. What did that involve for Paul? Well, taking the message out in mission, certainly. But think of what he's doing now as he writes this letter. He's writing to Christians, isn't he? To strengthen them. Nearly all the New Testament letters are written to Christians to strengthen them. Correcting error, providing encouragement. So if the goal is not conversion but mature Christians, then ministry in that way is essential. Helping others press on to maturity. We've got that one up at the front, haven't we? Helping others become like Jesus. That was a huge part of what Paul did. We often talk, don't we, about Paul's missionary journeys. But if you actually look carefully, he does all sorts of things on them. So on his first missionary journey, he goes all the way uh, along uh, into Asia Minor. And then he retraces his steps backwards. He he could have gone in a big circle. But if you look at Acts 14, 21 and 22, which is just on the back of your notice sheets. Look at what he does at the end of of his missionary trip. Acts 14, 21 and 22. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Paul the missionary, yes, but also Paul the minister. He goes and strengthens them with the gospel. And ministry is not all in the hands of the minister, capital M. We believe, in our doctrinal distinctives, don't we, that we believe in a ministry of all believers. All of us can help each other. All of us should help each other. Now, some are set aside to full-time paid gospel ministry, but it's not a different species of ministry. It's still doing the same thing. All of us are involved with this. So ministry matters. It's the means that God's given us to keep going. Each other. That's, that's what God's given us, each other. That's why it's not enough to sort of sit at home with your headphones on, listening to sermons. Because God's given us each other to minister to each other. And that's why that is one of our priorities as a church. So that Christ might be honoured as we help one another <coughs> become more like Jesus. And then one last point from this passage. One that's easy to miss. Geography matters. I spent my, my life taking the mick out of geography students, saying that they, they did degrees in colouring in. Uh, but geography does matter. Have a look at verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. And then have a look at verse 6. The gospel which has come to you as it indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. I don't know if you've ever wondered about that verse 24 when Paul says that he's filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions. What could that mean? I mean, are Jesus' afflictions not enough? Do they need topping up in some way? Well, to quote Paul in other parts, by no means. Christ's sacrifice is sufficient. Christ's death on the cross was enough for everything. But what's lacking is geography. It's not theology, it's geography. You see, Christ did not die in Colossae. 
Christ did not rise from the dead in Colossae. There needs to be a gospel presence there to present those sufferings to the people. And as Paul takes that message to the people, he himself suffers. Uh, He suffers for sharing the gospel. It's like a visual presentation to them. And as he ministers to them, he provides what's lacking in Christ's suffering. Their presentation from town to town, from city to city, all across the globe. This is how John Piper puts it from this passage. What's missing is the in-person presentation of Christ's sufferings to the people for whom he died. The afflictions are lacking in the sense that they are not seen and known among the nations. They must be carried by ministers of the gospel. And those ministers of the gospel fill up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ by extending them to others. So do you see that actually geography matters as the gospel spreads across the whole world? And geography matters because people matter. God cares about geography because he cares about people. Another one of our doctrinal distinctives that we adopted this year is the priority of the local church. Which says we believe every community should have a church of local believers where the gospel can be heard and where the word is faithfully taught. (coughs) It's the only distinctive that we've got that has no ifs or buts. And Paul knows this. That's why he's been travelling across the globe, planting churches, to spread God's glory across the globe. Epaphroditus knows this. That's why he brought the message to the Colossians. That's why he's planted a church there. Geography matters because people matter. Now, bearing all this in mind, there are some implications for us as a church with the big picture of things. The first thing I want to say is that our purpose statement is correct from what we've seen. Our purpose statement is to teach Christ in his word for mission, ministry and maturity to the glory of God. That's what we're about. That's what we want to do. And we've seen that those are God's priorities in our passage that we've seen this morning. What we want is thriving churches all across our geographical area. We want gospel outposts all across Wharfdale. Churches where these things are happening. That's part of why we exist. And Mike and I have thought uh, long and hard and prayed, and we've appreciated your prayers as well as we give direction to the church. And we sat down and we thought about where we want to be in 10 years' time. If this is what we want to do, where do we want to be in about 10 years' time? And this is what we decided. In 10 years' time, we want to see two thriving biblical churches, one in Otley and one in Ilkley. Uh, I should give the proviso that if God sends us loads of people from Guidley, then that might change if we in Guidley. Um, but that's what we see our direction being. Which should come as no surprise because that's what we've been uh, talking about for a long time. And what we mean by thriving is actively involved in teaching Christ and his word for mission, maturity and ministry. A church where people are growing in the likeness of Christ and growing in number as people hear and believe. Now this is by no means the end of what we want to do. This is just looking at ten years time. We'd love to see communities of light in Burley, in Menston, in Guiseley, in Eden, in Addingham. But this is the goal that we set for the immediate future. Because as the saying goes, if you aim for nothing, you hit it every time. Now, has that gone backwards? Okay. 
Uh, Let me address what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, oh no, not that again. (laughs) Didn't we try that and it failed? Well, did it? Uh, I did some stats over the summer for the uh, church members meeting. And half of our church family on a Sunday morning are actually from the west of Otley towards Ilkley, uh, depending on who's here on a Sunday morning. Only roughly a quarter are actually from Otley itself, and a quarter are from elsewhere. So actually, in terms of planting a church in Ilkley, uh, we're in a stronger position now than we were five years ago. So that's what some of you think, but actually we're, we're stronger. Now some of you are thinking, yes, finally, but ten years in the future? Couldn't you do it now? Well, if that's what you're thinking, I'd ask you to be patient. We could plant a church in Ilkley tomorrow, well, next Sunday probably, but it would struggle for a start, and so would the church in Otley. The church in Otley would actually probably be so small that it would, it would struggle to go. So we need time, and we need a plan to get us there, don't we? Uh, so that we're in a position where we can do both of those things uh, in the future. And some of you are thinking, well, this is a great idea in theory, but how on earth are we going to get that? Well, that's partly what we're going to be talking about this afternoon. But we've got a destination. And that means that we can plan, doesn't it? So, if you like, if you've got a long-term vision, you can plan steps of where you're going to go. If you don't have a long-term vision, then you can just end up spending your moving, but not really getting anywhere. So there are some uh, points along the the way, uh, points along the route. So some of the things that we'll need to do, we'll need to grow bigger, we'll need to appoint leaders, and we'll need to plant into Ilkley. Those are some of the things we'll need to do over the next 10 years. But that will mean that there'll be different priorities at different points. So if you like, if if that's our route to our long-term vision, there's going to be different things that are happening at different times. Uh, There are going to be different things that we'll need to do. So Mike and I have also got priorities for this year. So if we want to get all the way to there at the end, then actually we need to start that journey now. And we need to work out what we need to do this year, so that in 10 years' time we're in a position where we can do it. So these are the priorities that Mike and I uh, have come up with. Um, We'll look at them in a little bit this morning, then we can look at them in more depth this afternoon. But these are the priorities that we've set. They all begin with R, but it does make the last one a little bit weird. (laughs) The first one is raise our profile. Uh, The second one is raise up leaders. And the third one is regularise, which sounds a little bit scary. Um, We need to raise up leaders uh, because we'll need two sets of leaders. Two sets of elders, two sets of home group leaders... Uh, Probably more, because if we're at a church that size where we're planting, then we'll probably need more home groups. We'll need two sets of children group leaders. And the cavalry isn't coming. We need to raise up people here. The people that we get who join us might not be in a position where they can lead in those ways. So we're not to wait around just for ready-made leaders to sort of pop in. So we need to raise up leaders. That's going to be one of our priorities for this year. We need to raise our profile Because people don't know we're here. I remember doing uh, the church anniversary uh, 100 years cake stall. And, uh, you know, we're giving away cake, we're giving away goodie bags. And got chatting to this lady and she's like, who are you? And says, oh, you're at Bethel Church. Oh, where are you? Uh, It's well, our building's behind Sainsbury's. Never heard of you. 
alright, okay, yes, if you just moved into the area, so lived here 60 years. So people don't necessarily know that we're here. Um, that's one of the reasons that we need to raise our profile. Uh, so if you think about the, the lovely gospel chain that you get in Romans, you know, how will they believe without someone preaching to them? How will they hear without a preacher? But how will they hear if they don't know that we're here to even begin with? So we're starting right at the, the bottom, really, raising our profile. We've done some work with that this year and in the previous years before, but we're going to really try and focus on that this year, making people know that we're here, especially in Otley, since really the Otley side needs to grow for the Iltley side to be able to be planted. And the third one is regularise. Um, I couldn't really think of a better word that begins with R, if anyone can think of one that fits what we're doing. Um, but what I mean by that is that in terms of our legal status, in terms of our financial status, in terms of our building that we have in Otley, we need to get things on a solid footing. Uh, so we need to get things sorted so that they're actually properly. So, for example, becoming a charity, a registered charity, is one of those things that puts us on a sound footing. Making improvements to the building uh, would be one of those things that puts us on a sound footing so that we're doing the, the legal obligations that we're supposed to do. So these are the priorities um, that we want for this year um, in order to get us there in 10 years' time. Now, it may be next year when we come back, we'll end up with the same priorities again. It might be that we think, right, we still need to do more work raising of leaders. We still need to do more work regularising. Or it might be that we feel that we're in a better position to be able to move on to other places. Uh, we'll, re- we'll come back and reassess next year. But we can't do this alone. This isn't just me and Mike. Because actually you matter. We need actually everybody to get involved, especially at a church of our size, and get on board with the vision and the things that we want to do this year and in the future. We need each other. As we mentioned earlier, God has given us each other. That's one of the reasons it's wonderful as a church that we can do things together that we could never do alone. As the saying goes, it ask great things of God and attempt great things for God. And I want us all to be doing that this year. So that's what we're going to spend a bit of our time this afternoon doing, thinking about how we can do this, ideas of, of what we want to do. Mike and I have plans in all those three areas, but we also want your ideas, we want your input. Because actually we don't believe that God gives the monopoly on wisdom to just a few people. We believe in the ministry of all believers. God spreads his wisdom between us all. So over lunch, I want us to chat through those three areas. Uh, raising up leaders, raising our profile and regularisation and ways that we can do that, ways that you can think of that will help raise our profile, raise up leaders. And then this afternoon, Mike and I will share some of the things that we've come up with to do that. Uh, I'm going to put post-it notes on tables so you can write them up uh, and so you don't have to sort of stand up and and say something, you just stick it on the wall. But we need each other to do this. Uh, We need each other's help, don't we? If we're going to raise up Christ, if we're going to exalt Christ in Otley, if we're going to see people come under the lordship of Christ, we need to work together 